Chapter 19 of Vietnam, The Advisory Years to 1965 by Robert Futrell and Martin Blumenson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 19, The Gulf of Tonkin Incident. President Johnson had intimated shortly after taking office that he was inclining toward expanded covert operations against North Vietnam. With the least risk, he wanted to put pressure on Hanoi to force lessened support for the Viet Cong. The president, early in January 1964, approved additional resources for covert actions, including beach landings and airdrops of Vietnamese intelligence and commando teams. Closely managing this work were the Office of the Special Assistant for Counterinsurgency and Special Activities of the Joint Chiefs of Staff headed by General Anthus, now in Washington, and the MACV Special Operations Group in Saigon. As in other international waters, U.S. Navy patrols were routinely operating in the Gulf of Tonkin to monitor various North Vietnamese activities by visual and electronic sightings. In February, U-2 aircraft from Strategic Air Command resumed their reconnaissance missions. Averaging one or two sorties a day, they photographed the border areas of Laos, Cambodia, and North Vietnam. In March, more naval patrolling was deemed necessary. Done by air as well as sea, it focused on naval movements. By April, the sum of this intelligence suggested that Hanoi was readying forces to invade South Vietnam through Laos. So General LeMay's repeated announcements to the Joint Chiefs seemed to be sound there could be no satisfactory solution to the situations in Laos and South Vietnam without military action against North Vietnam. At the end of June, the President selected General Taylor to succeed Henry Cabot Lodge as ambassador to Vietnam. In recognition of Taylor's prior role as one of the major architects of the war, Johnson entrusted the entire military effort to his hands. He authorized the new ambassador to wield whatever command control he thought proper. If Taylor acted independently of Sinkpack, he would infringe on the command prerogatives of Admiral Sharp, the newly installed commander-in-chief. He might also split the unity of air power into three packages, operations in Vietnam and in Laos, plus those planned against North Vietnam. Hunter Harris, Jr., picked ahead Packalf on August 1st, would find that possibility frustrating. After talking with Admiral Sharp in Hawaii, Ambassador Taylor reached Saigon on July 7th. He told General Westmoreland that he would not interfere with MacVie's day-to-day business. To Taylor, the Khan government seemed weak. As he later wrote, We lived dangerously in this period, never sure from night to night when a new coup might overthrow another feeble government or when we might lose some important town to a surprise attack or a military base to mortar fire. The weakness of the Saigon government, heavy deliveries of modern weapons by North Vietnam to the Viet Cong, and infiltration of North Vietnamese army units into the South called for greater American effort. Since January, the JCS had been advocating a shift from advisory assistance to more direct aid. Now, in May, they proposed assigning U.S. Special Forces teams to provinces and districts as advisors to regional and popular forces. General Westmoreland opposed flooding the country with American servicemen. 
he believed the key to success was honing the cutting edge of the small fighting units hence on june twenty fifth and again on july sixteenth he recommended that u s military strength in vietnam be expanded by about forty two hundred men to work as advisers at the district level admiral sharp agreed on july eighteenth general Kahn delivered an emotional address at a rally to mark vietnam's day of shame the anniversary of the country's division in nineteen fifty four he asserted that his government was unwilling to remain indifferent in the face of firm determination of the people who wanted to push northward as an appropriate means to fulfill our national history the next day a government statement declared if communist china and communist vietnam obstinately continue their way of aggression the government and entire people of vietnam will step up the war with determination until total victory liberates the whole of our national territory one week earlier a detachment of c-130s from the usaf sixty ninety first reconnaissance squadron recently moved from japan to don Muang near bangkok had begun flying communication intercept missions off the north vietnamese coast on the twenty eighth a navy desoto patrol consisting solely of the destroyer maddox also commenced sailing close to the coast to collect radar and communications intelligence and to make a show of force hanoi broadcasts revealed that the north vietnamese knew of the burgeoning covert activity in a talk with newsmen in july air commander wen cao ki admitted that troops were being parachuted into north vietnam he said training was in progress for bigger special missions entailing ground attacks and airborne operations beyond the confines of south vietnam conferring with ambassador taylor on july twenty third general Kahn insisted that the war had entered a new phase south vietnam needed to be on the offensive but the next day he asked taylor whether he should resign in a cable to the state department the ambassador said that if the united states opposed a march to the north the vietnamese might break with american policy a single maverick pilot taking off for hanoi with a load of bombs could touch off an unwarranted extension of hostilities this would cloud the chances for internal pacification in vietnam the chief need taylor felt was a stable vietnamese government and that required time to gain this time he suggested that the vietnamese military make contingency plans for heightened actions against north vietnam but the vietnamese chafed for action four of their patrol boats operating under u s guidance left da nang on july thirtieth and sailed north that night they shelled a radar station on Hong island and a radio transmitter on Hanu nu island both installations were off the north vietnamese coast near vinh and both were deeply involved in hanoi's sea infiltration during late afternoon on august second three high-speed north vietnamese swatow patrol boats fired on the destroyer maddox which was in international waters twenty-eight miles off the enemy's coast the maddox and planes from the carrier ticonderoga returned the fire at first defense secretary mcnamara thought that the attack was either a miscalculation by the government or an impulsive act of a local commander in any event president johnson immediately dispatched a note of protest to hanoi he made public his orders that the navy continue patrols in the gulf of tonkin and add a second destroyer 
on august third the maddox now accompanied by the c turner joy re-entered the gulf air patrols from the ticonderoga covered both destroyers by day that night south vietnamese forces raided a radar station on cape vinson and a security station near qua ron after dark and in bad weather on the fourth the maddox reported that it was being fired upon admiral sharp sinkpack asked the jcs for a new rule of engagement allowing u s aircraft to pursue planes into hostile airspace instead of stopping at a three-mile line off the north vietnamese coast he also sought authority to launch instant punitive air strikes on north vietnam as retaliations for the attacks on the maddox president johnson shared this reaction the united states had to show it meant business he stressed in a radio and television address to the american people that the u s response to the hostile action would be limited and fitting even so he directed the pacific fleet on august fifth to make a single all-out assault on the north vietnamese swatow boat bases and their supporting p o l storage at vinh together with the reprisal attack the president approved and the jcs ordered emergency actions to move additional forces to the pacific especially into southeast asia saigon had previously agreed to positioning more u s a f units in the country and on august fifth planes began to arrive six f one o two jet interceptors of the five o ninth fighter squadron flew from clark air force base to da nang six others from the sixteenth fighter squadron at naha air base okinawa touched down at tonsonyut eight f-100s of the six hundred and fifteenth tactical fighter squadron still on rotational deployment at clark went to da nang on the evening of august fifth thirty-six b-57s of the eighth and thirteenth bomber squadrons had trouble getting into binh hoa the rain obscured the pilot's view and made the runway slick one plane during approach crashed in viet cong territory and two suffered damage upon landing six rf-101s out of kadena and misawa air base japan augmented the able mabel reconnaissance planes at tansanyut the four hundred and fifth tactical wing sent ten f-100s from clark to takli thailand eight kb-50s from pat calf's four hundred and twenty first air refueling squadron moved from yokota to tansanyut and takli eight f-105 jet fighters of the thirty-sixth tactical fighter squadron flew from yokota to clark then to karat in thailand on august ninth under j c s direction the commander-in-chief united states strike command deployed a tac composite air strike force F-100s of the 522nd and 614th Tactical Fighter Squadrons landed at Clark on August 8th and 9th. Six RF-101s of the 363rd Composite Reconnaissance Unit reached Cadena on the 13th. Forty-eight C-130 transports from the 314th, 463rd, and 516th Troop Carrier Wings arrived at Clark and Cadena between the 9th and 21st of August for in-flight refueling the strategic air command furnished forty-eight kc-135 jet tankers that operated mainly from hickam air force base in hawaii and anderson air force base on guam sac further formed a task force of eight kc-135s at clark general moore on august sixth created a second air division command post at tansonyut 
separate from the combined Vietnamese USAF Air Operations Center. Using just the U.S. side of the tactical air control system, he began to tie together all the USAF units in that area. On August 5th, General Westmoreland had met with General Kahn and Vietnamese commanders to outline the purpose for the retaliatory strike on the Swatow boat bases and oil storage sites. Westmoreland advised, and Kahn agreed, to place the Vietnamese on maximum alert against Viet Cong reprisals. The MACV commander added that if the North Vietnamese or Chinese attacked South Vietnam, he would loose airstrikes on targets of his choice without requiring a green light from Washington. Ambassador Taylor afterwards called on Khan. He handed him a letter from President Johnson underlining the need for the closest bilateral consultation. Khan assured Taylor that he fully understood and accepted this requirement. The U.S. retaliatory attack on August 6th involved 64 aircraft launched in two waves from the carriers Ticonderoga and Constellation. The strikes on five boat bases and the Vin oil storage destroyed eight boats and damaged 21, put the oil reservoirs 90% out of commission, and lost two planes to anti-aircraft fire. Shortly thereafter, at the request of the United States, the Canadian member of the International Control Commission visited the North Vietnamese premier in Hanoi. The Canadians said that the United States viewed Hanoi's role in Laos and South Vietnam as critical and threatening. He warned that if North Vietnam persisted in its aggression, it would expect to suffer the consequences. The premier was utterly unintimidated and calmly resolved to pursue his course. His indifference might have reflected a recent increase in air strength. North Vietnamese aircraft had included 30 trainers, 50 transports, and four light helicopters. But on August 7th, aerial photos of Fukien airfield near Hanoi showed 39 MiG-15-17 jet fighters apparently just flown in from China. More of these jets were on Hainan Island and South China bases. General Harris, PACAF commander, saw that the MiGs on Fukien posed a direct threat to his forces in Southeast Asia. He proposed to Admiral Sharp that destroying the communist jet aircraft would be a sharp lesson to China and would deter any fresh enemy plans for attack. The USAF F-105s at Karat could conduct the operation, but the F-100s on alert at Da Nang were closer to the target. With cluster bomb unit, CBU-2A, munitions, the planes could prosecute a low-level, high-speed, surprise attack on the parked aircraft. Then, using AGM-12B missiles as well as rockets, flak suppression missions and strikes against individual surviving aircraft could be carried out. But Sharp needed the go-ahead from higher authority, and it was not given. On August 7th, General Westmoreland suggested that MACV and the Vietnamese government make General Moore the combined air commander. With a Vietnamese deputy, Moore could exercise operational control over U.S.-Vietnamese air power for all missions. These would encompass airstrikes into North Vietnam and Laos, defensive actions in South Vietnam, and air support of mobile ground forces in the northern provinces of South Vietnam. Assisted by MACV, the Vietnamese armed forces were to have the primary task of controlling the counterinsurgency inside the country. 
Admiral Sharp made it clear that he, as Sink Pack, would manage the air activities against North Vietnam through Pakaf and the Pacific Fleet. Pakaf would work through 13th Air Force and 2nd Air Division. Since the latter reported to both MACV and Pakaf, coordination would be easy. As for the MACV commander, he was to center on purging the Viet Cong and pacifying the country. Although events in Laos disturbed policymakers during the summer of 1964, intelligence officers looked for the most serious escalation of the conflict to occur in Vietnam. Peking and Hanoi evidently felt there was a better chance to gain power by dint of a collapse of the Saigon government. Ambassador Taylor estimated the chance of such a collapse at about 50%. The Khan government had been unable to rebuild the political control structure between Saigon and the Hamlets, which had disappeared following the overthrow and death of Diem in November 1963. Morale had plummeted, assisted in its drop by the constant threat of assassination or another coup. To Taylor, the most valid and realistic objectives were to bolster Saigon, press the campaign against the Viet Cong, and be prepared to act against North Vietnam by January 1, 1965. At President Johnson's request, the Senate and House on August 10th enacted a joint resolution giving him authority to prosecute military operations as he saw fit. Tied to the North Vietnamese attacks on the destroyer Maddox in the Gulf of Tonkin, the resolution read in part, Consonant with the Constitution of the United States and the Charter of the United Nations, and in accordance with its obligations under the Southeast Asia Collective Defense Treaty, the United States is prepared, as the President determines, to take all necessary steps, including the use of armed force, to assist any member or protocol state requesting assistance in defense of its freedom." yet there was a nagging doubt as to whether the Maddox had actually been attacked on the night of August 4th. High-speed naval operations at night made precise observation and rapid and accurate reporting difficult. In September, Hanoi would publish a lengthy white paper to justify the August 2nd attack as proper defense against a covert operation, but it declared that none of its naval craft was in the area two nights later. William P. Bundy, Assistant Secretary of State for Far Eastern Affairs, was impressed by Ambassador Taylor's assessment of the Khan government's weakness. He therefore drafted a policy memorandum for the National Security Council, entitled Next Courses of Actions in Southeast Asia. There was to be an initial short holding phase for the remainder of August to avoid actions that might intensify the war. Then would come a limited pressure phase, lasting through the rest of the year, to maintain the morale of the Khan government without risking escalation. This phase would witness covert operations against North Vietnam, training of Vietnamese pilots to fly jet aircraft, moves across the border into the Laotian panhandle, reinstatement of naval patrols in the Gulf of Tonkin, and tit-for-tat reprisals. Finally, more serious pressures were to start on January 1, 1965. For example, initial measures to destroy enemy infiltration routes and facilities would progress to the bombardment of military targets in North Vietnam. Exactly how unstable the Khan government was became clear on the 16th of August. 
the military revolutionary council elected khan president and made general duong van min supreme adviser student and buddhist demonstrations instantly erupted in hawaii far from the turmoil in saigon admiral sharp thought that the united states could not afford to lose the momentum that the tonkin gulf response had created he wanted to exert more pressure against the communists in laos both on the plain of jars and in the panhandle he also wanted to expand and continue covert operations and naval patrols because the usaf units at da nang binhua and tansonyut were vulnerable to viet cong attack he suggested that u s ground troops be brought to vietnam to defend the bases he further advocated that the united states set up a major base at da nang to show that americans meant to stay in southeast asia until american aims were attained in the midst of the rioting in saigon ambassador taylor recommended that the united states try to gain time for the khan government he opposed getting deeply involved with north vietnam and possibly china like bundy he thought that hanoi should be checked in its infiltration by limited pressure until january fifth nineteen sixty five then such measures as covert operations extensive patrolling u two flights over north vietnam air and ground strikes in laos and bombing of the north should be stepped up on august twenty fourth ambassador taylor chaired a long session of the mission council he had formed to include general westmoreland the members discussed alternative options in vietnam but found it difficult to define an incident that warranted american reprisal on the same day the joint chiefs of staff were reviewing a list of ninety-four possible bombing targets in north vietnam compiled in june and july the targets fell into five categories airfields lines of communication military installations industrial facilities and armed reconnaissance routes president khan resigned on the twenty fifth of august two days later the military revolutionary council named a triumvirate of provincial leaders as an interim ruling body undeterred by these developments the jcs sent the list of bombing targets to sinkpack and directed that strike plans be devised for four patterns of attack in an ascending order of severity the joint chiefs informed secretary mcnamara of their disagreement with ambassador taylor's position they considered much stronger military pressures on north vietnam to be needed in particular to provide a psychological boost to the saigon government the chiefs urged bombing the listed targets in north vietnam at once secretary mcnamara on august thirty first asked the joint chiefs to answer three questions about the ninety four targets after a full-scale assault on the targets would enough ordnance and p o l be left to defend southeast asia from chinese attack what would be the effects of each of the four patterns of attack on the north vietnamese economy on its capacity to support the patet lao and the viet cong and on its ability to enlarge north vietnamese military forces in south vietnam and laos and finally if the destruction of the ninety-four targets failed to stifle hanoi's will to wage war what course of action was feasible these were tough questions indeed in saigon on september third a fifteen-man leadership committee replaced the ruling triumvirate and picked khan as acting premier and min as chairman 
a short time later ambassador taylor secretary of state rusk secretary of defense mcnamara and j c s chairman wheeler gathered to weigh courses of action for the united states the group sharply revised bundy's prior outline of graduated pressures the members agreed that the saigon government would be too weak for two or three months for the united states to take any major and deliberate action risking escalation the communists were not likely to provoke the united states but saigon should be assisted to show that the united states was serious in its aims while keeping risks low and under control american naval patrols in the gulf of tonkin suspended after the maddox affair could be resumed the patrols ought to stay outside the twelve-mile limit and be clearly divorced from the south vietnamese covert operations which should concentrate on maritime raids south vietnamese air and ground operations linked to airstrikes by laotian pilots in the panhandle should begin lastly the united states should be alert to answer an attack upon american personnel or a special enemy action against vietnam yet it should not deliberately provoke an incident to justify a retaliation these proposals went to the president and to the joint chiefs of staff on september eighth general lemay told the chiefs that the courses of action did not convey a clear and positive signal to hanoi of u s resolution general wallace m green jr marine corps commandant sided with lemay for he also thought that the ninety four targets should be bombed the next day mcnamara and wheeler talked about the joint chief's feelings they saw the danger to be drastic american action triggering a strong reaction that the saigon regime could not meet president johnson accepted the more cautious course on september tenth he ordered u s naval patrols to be resumed covert operations to be reviewed and talks with the laotian government to be opened on limited air and ground operations in the panhandle but the first order of business was shoring up the saigon government american attempts to do so met with slight success on september thirteenth the four corps commanders started a coup proclaiming that khan had capitulated to buddhist and student demands he led armored elements into saigon occupied public buildings and disarmed the national police the vietnamese air force stayed loyal to khan and made a show of force against the coup the u s state department announced firm support for khan the rebellious forces then withdrew khan carried out sweeping changes among his military commanders and appointed a high national council of seventeen civilians to draft a constitution and designate a civil chief of state outwardly this seemed a step towards stabilizing the government by october first however american intelligence estimated scant improvement meanwhile pacification efforts virtually collapsed because the paralyzed military staff in saigon could not reach decisions as president johnson desired u s destroyers morton and edwards entered the gulf of tonkin on patrol during the night of september seventeenth however the ships reported and fired on radar contacts at joint chief's direction Singpak called for sizable reprisal air attacks on north vietnam targets and weapons were changed several times and the second air division command post was swamped with orders and counter-orders 
in the end the air attacks were cancelled because the navy could not be absolutely sure that north vietnamese action had actually occurred the joint chiefs next enjoined sinkpack to be ready to execute immediate air strikes against pre-selected targets when naval patrols were in the gulf Singpak dictated that U.S. jets at Da Nang and Binh Hoa be alerted for attacking Fukien airfield. When a SAC RB-47 was committed to weekly electronic intelligence flights over the Gulf of Tonkin, the naval patrols were abandoned. It began to appear that, unless the United States assumed a more direct role in the struggle, the situation would go out of control. End of chapter 19